Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. The weekend is upon us, and Walters is a great spot to gather for brunch. From chicken and waffles to Walters breakfast tacos, Walters menu has something for everyone. On top of that, for only $20, enjoy bottomless drinks, including mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and old-time lagers. Caps Panthers game four this Monday night at 7 p.m. Walters is the perfect place to watch the game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So it'll do it again on three and two, the pitch. Swung on, belted, deep center field. Back goes Trout, way back, warning track, ball, looking up and gone, goodbye. In and out of the rock pile and bouncing back down out of the playing field. Bang, zoom, goes Josh Bell with his fourth home run of the year. He winds, kicks, and fires, swinging a belt to deep right center field. This is way back. This one is going, going, and gone, goodbye. A home run for Yadiel Hernandez. Now the pitch, swing and a belt by Cruz, deep to left, down the line, toward the corner, and it is gone, goodbye! And the Nationals back up by three here in the top of the fifth. It's Washington six, Los Angeles three. Check of the runner at second, and the one-two's on the way. Swing and a fly ball, left center field. Hernandez and Robles, Yadiel Hernandez there, and he makes a one-handed catch to retire the side. Nice job by Josiah Gray after the leadoff single to stolen base. The man is left at second, and we head for the sixth inning. Hello and welcome into Nat Chat for Sunday, May 8th, 2022, after a 7-3 Nationals victory over the Angels. Your ears do not deceive you. I am not Al Galdi. This is Tim Shovers filling in for Al, who is having a much-deserved night off. I am the Ron Washington to Galdi's Cal Ripken. If you don't quite catch the reference, Google will help you out on that one. Allow me to introduce myself to those not familiar as it's my first time on the mic this season. I produce this podcast every day and created it back in February of 2021. It had been something I had been hoping to do for many years before it finally came together. I want to thank each and every one of you listening for supporting this endeavor from the bottom of my baseball heart as this will be our 192nd game recap since last year's opening day. I welcome in live from Anaheim, California, Mark Zuckerman, Nationals Insider for MassInSports.com. Mark, before we get to Josiah Gray's evening, I have to ask you, are you a Los Angeles Angels, <laughs> California Angels, 
Anaheim Angels or Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim kind of guy. First of all, Tim, it's good to hear your voice. And yes, it's slightly different than Al's, but it's very nice to hear you and get you the opportunity to do this. And you picked a good night to host because we had a pretty good game to talk about. I think just from the time period that I grew up in the 80s, I probably still think California Angels a little bit. I mean, I've long since, you know, moved on from that. I don't ever slip up and accidentally call them California. I I mean, I refer to them as Los Angeles Angels in print and I have for a while now. But for some reason, California Angels, kind of that Rod Carew, Reggie Jackson era, Reggie Jackson from uh, the Naked Gun era. That's kind of in my mind who the Angels are. And so I'll probably still always think of them more so as the California Angels than as the Anaheim or the Los Angeles or the Los Angeles of Anaheim, which is the most ridiculous of them all. Naked Gun, by the way, the home game that they had at the Angels was at Dodger Stadium. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There's only one more out before the seventh inning stretch, Frank. I'm going to have my men on the alert, but you're going to have to stall them. Don't let them get that third out. Right, Ed. To this game, Josiah Gray tonight earns the victory. Five and a third innings on 83 pitches, three strikeouts, two walks, two homers allowed, five hits, all runs coming in the fourth off the pair of homers. Mark, would you consider Gray's outing tonight good, decent, or would you pick another word? What it was is it reminded me of Joanna Dome the night before, I thought, where you look at the final line and you're saying, yeah, nothing special, three runs in five innings, essentially. But within it, there were some really good moments that made you say, okay, we've got something here, especially given the hitters that he's facing. So he has that hiccup. It's really just a three batter hiccup the entire night. His only mistakes came in that three batter sequence in the fourth, home run to Walsh, walk to Stasi two-run homer to Marsh, and otherwise he was spectacular. And especially coming back from that, the following inning in the fifth, he's got a leadoff single and a stolen base by Velasquez, and now he's got to face the top of the lineup, the tougher hitters, and he strikes out Ward, he strikes out Trout on a slider and gets Otani to fly out to left, and you saw some emotion from Josiah as he came off the mound there. I think that's the inning. The fifth inning is the one that's key to me because he didn't let that one bad inning ruin the whole start. He came back and faced the tougher hitters for the third time tonight that he had to face them. And he had success against some of the most accomplished hitters in the league. So, you know, maybe I'm being a little too optimistic here, but I'm looking less at what the final line is and more at the most significant moments in this start. And to me, it was that fifth inning and that sequence against the best hitters in in the league. So I, I came away pretty impressed. I'm calling it a good start for him. After the fifth, he was at 72 pitches. So the fourth, he gives up the three runs. The fifth, he works through some trouble. As you said, he gets out of it. What were your expectations for him going into the sixth? I thought he would have some rope to finish the inning. But as Davey Martinez explained afterwards, they were kind of trying to keep him a little lower in his pitch count in this game because his last couple ones were a little higher in the, in the 90s, high 90s. It's interesting. You would think, okay, hey, we're more than a month into a season. You're going to let your starters go 100 pitches. They're being pretty careful with all of them, but especially with Josiah. And I do wonder if, you know, we have to remember, like, he's still such a young guy who has not pitched a full big league season ever. Uh, And I think they're going to monitor this pretty closely. And so when there are opportunities to dial him back a little bit, I think you'll see that. So even though I thought he was pitching well enough and the part of the lineup that he's facing, I I thought he could have finished out the sixth inning. Uh, I get why maybe you want to be a little more careful there 
not because he wasn't pitching well, but because they were making a concerted effort not to extend him too far in this game. It's a long season still to go, and they want to make sure that he's there for them at the end because that's, I think, just as important a part of his development is staying strong through a full big league season, getting 30 starts out of him. You don't want to burn him out now by just because he maybe is pitching well, say, oh, okay, well, we're going to get you up over 100 pitches. Is his next start Friday night against Houston in D.C.? It should be so, yeah. Against the Astros and Dusty Baker's return, that'll be quite a a scene for him and a big, you know, talk about some tests. I mean, you've got the Angels, (laughs) one of the best lineups in baseball. Then the Astros obviously have some firepower. And then potentially the Dodgers later in the month when they come to D.C. This is a, a big stretch here for Josiah Gray to kind of show what he is. And there have been some good signs. I'm seeing development. I think that fourth inning, like we were talking about, I know he still gave up the two home runs, and that's been an issue for him. But we've also seen when things go south for him, he really lets it get out of control. And he got it right back. And like I said, in the fifth, faced their toughest hitters and got through it. So I, I think this is a pretty encouraging start for him and some signs of growth from him in how he limited the damage just to that one inning. If I could try and sell tickets for a second, Give me a reason to not go Friday night uh, th- this week for the homestead. Yeah, you got Dusty Baker, the Astros' first time since 2019 in D.C. Josiah Gray probably on the mound, so a lot to look forward to there. Hopefully, we should have good weather finally that we haven't had this year. So, But back to this game, Mark. You're talking about you know those crucial at-bats that he had, including the fifth inning. The triumvirate of Trout, Otani, and Rendon combined 0 for 9 against Gray. How much stock do you put into that small sample size as we continue to follow the evolution of the young right-hander? No, I'm putting a lot in that. That's why I said I think that, to me, is more important than what the guys at the bottom half of the lineup did against him. Now, you know, again, it's a small sample, and if you face Mike Trout 100 times, he's going to get his hits and his home runs in there somewhere. But between Adone and Gray, they've been pretty effective against these guys. I've been impressed with it. Anthony Rendon, not to go totally off topic here, he's 0 for 8 in the series, and... I've never seen him make so many outs on the first pitch of an at-bat. I mean, that was a consistent theme here the last two days, and that's not who he is. He's the guy who works the count as well as anybody, finds his pitch, and delivers. You can tell he's not quite feeling exactly right up there. I don't know what it is, whether it's the hip injury from last year. He's still kind of finding his swing again. But the crowd was even murmuring a little bit a few times when he would come up with guys on base and not deliver. He has not been everything the Angels wanted him to be. Not to say that he won't still get there, that he's not still a great player, but he hasn't looked great. And I think the Nats have done a pretty good job against Trout, Otani, and Rendon. And a lot of those at-bats, like we said, have been Adone and Gray. So if we're looking big picture and what really matters here and the development of these two young starters, that to me is the most encouraging thing from all this. And I, I'm putting more stock in that than what he did you know, against Walsh and Stasi and Marsh in the fourth inning. Redone hitting 202 so far this season. You mentioned him not looking comfortable at the plate. I would agree. But my only thing is he never looks comfortable at the plate because he has such an odd <laughs> batting stance, you know, when he does that sort of that last second crouch. But uh, but you are right. He doesn't – watching him, I was like, this is not the Tony Two Bags that I watched for however many years in D.C. Now, in the field, he did. He made a, a spectacular vintage Anthony Rendon charge in, scoop it up, and fire it across a diamond play. So that was nice to see or maybe difficult to see if you're a Nats fan and wish he was still doing that for you guys. So that's good. And he talked about on Friday, it's been a while for him with that hip injury and he almost described it like he has a new hip and a new leg and it's taken time for him to get his body back in sync to where he wants it to be so maybe at the plate it's not quite there yet but he looked like 
Anthony Rendon in the field. So far, he has not really looked like the Anthony Rendon I remember at the plate. My favorite Rendon plays defensively always were the backhanded plays or then sort of off one leg you'd throw across the diamond and get the runner by four feet. That was always my favorite. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflicts. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you. And that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call them today at 202 486 3535 or check out his website zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One ball, two strikes. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with the curveball. A 1 2 3 inning for Rosmo Ramirez. And that's his second strikeout. He's given the Nationals two scoreless innings in relief. Out of the bullpen. It stepped up again tonight. Almost four innings of scoreless work. Steve Ciszek escaped the sixth inning jam with the tying runner on deck. Tanner Rainey threw a 1 2 3 ninth to preserve his flawless ERA. But in between, a curious decision by skipper Davey Martinez as both the 7th and the 8th belong to Erasmo Ramirez, number 61 in your scorecard, and he got the job done. What was your reaction, Mark, when you not only saw Ramirez get out of trouble in the 7th, but then also return to the mound in the 8th inning? So my first thought was, uh-oh, something must be wrong with Kyle Finnegan if he's not appearing in this game at this point, because it's not like they've led a lot of these games late. 
any opportunity you have to use Finnegan and Rainey late in the game, you figure he's going to do that. So I was thinking, oh, no, something's wrong with Finnegan. And then it turns out as the eighth inning started, Finnegan was warming up in case anything got a little hairy in that inning, and it didn't. So apparently he's fine. Davey likes Erasmo Ramirez. He's mentioned him a few times. Now, what's so fascinating is his first six or seven appearances since he was called up from AAA, all but one of them was when the Nats were losing. And the one game he pitched in when they were winning, they were ahead by eight runs. So this is the first time he's pitched in anything even close to resembling a high leverage spot. And he ends up getting the meat of the Angels order in the seventh inning in a three-run game. And he gives up back-to-back two-out hits to Trout and Otani. And now here comes Rendon. And you're thinking, oh boy, here we go. Now that's one of those at-bats, like I said before. Rendon pops up on the first pitch. Very uncharacteristic of him. But you could see Erasmo had some emotion as he got out of that one. And then comes back out for the eighth and retires the side, makes a nice play on a comebacker from Stasi, strikes out Marsh on a curveball. And for those who don't know anything about him, he's been around the block. Erasmo Ramirez is 32 years old. He's pitched for a bunch of teams, including the Mariners, the Mets, Red Sox. He's sort of under the radar, but they like him. They like that he throws strikes. He's a veteran who's been there and done that before, so he's not going to get phased by anything. He said he's faced Trout a ton of times in his career, and it hasn't had a lot of success against him, but it's not like the idea of facing him is, is intimidating necessarily to him. I have no idea if all of a sudden Erasmo Ramirez is one of their high-leverage uh, late-inning guys. I would guess that that's not the way this is going. But for whatever reason, on this night, in that situation, in those matchups, Davey felt like he was the right guy for it, and he lived up to it. And it, it, You could tell, talking to him afterwards, it meant a lot to Erasmo to have the trust of his manager to pitch in those situations. Yeah, we'll see if the Nats have some leads against the Mets this week. Does Ramirez get used in high leverage spots? And if he doesn't, then maybe we'll know. Maybe he was sort of an AL West uh, you know, <laughs> expert for Davey in this interleague swing. On to the offense. Washington scored seven runs, including three homers. But Michael Franco had a big night at the plate as he had a two-run single to give D.C. a lot of breathing room and also knocked in a running Caber Ruiz from first base on a double in the left field corner. Always want to give props to a catcher when he scores from first base. Franco's OPS is up to 725, which is higher than Shohei Otani for the record so far this season, for whatever that is worth. How would you evaluate his play so far this season now that we're a month in? So it's kind of quietly been coming together. And all of a sudden you look up and you realize like, oh, he's doing a pretty fine job for them. Nothing spectacular. But given what we were kind of expecting going into the season, I remember Al and I talked about this entering the season that with Carter Keboom hurt and sort of Michael Franco as your starting third baseman by default, is this really the situation you want to be in? The guy was really rough last year for the Orioles. And all of a sudden, here he is getting another chance with the Nats. Well, let's give him some credit. He has been one of their more productive hitters, especially the last few weeks. He has come through in some big spots. When you're hitting behind the likes of Soto, Bell, Yadiel Hernandez, Cabert Ruiz, you're going to have some RBI opportunities. And he has done it. He is now tied with Yadiel Hernandez, 15 RBI, second most on the team behind Josh Bell. You know who's nowhere close to that on the leaderboard? is Juan Soto, who's still stuck on seven. So Franco is among the guys who is delivering with runners in scoring position, and credit to him for that. The defense, there were some shaky moments, some things where, you know, miscommunication between him and Alcides Escobar on grounders between short and third. But he's also had probably as many highlight reel plays as anybody else on the infield this season. He's had some quick reflex plays. So 
under the circumstances, I think Michael Franco has done perfectly fine, probably all they could have asked him to do under the circumstances. I don't think that he is a long-term solution. And I think eventually, if and when Carter Keebum was healthy enough to come back, he's going to get the job back. But in the meantime, you know, let's give some props to Michael Franco because he has delivered and, and done really, I think, as much as they could have reasonably have asked for him in this situation. One of the homers tonight came from Nelson Cruz, who did have a tough evening at the plate, though, one for five with four strikeouts, but that one hit was a homer to make it a 6-3 lead in the fifth inning for the Nationals. It was his 452nd of his career, third of the season. He is now tied with Carl Yastrzemski on the all-time list, and next up on the to-do list, to me, it's a hysterical pairing who share 462 homers, Jose Canseco and Adam Dunn. Mark, you are a Hall of Fame voter. I'm not going to put you too much on the spot here, so I'm going to ask you sort of generically, do you think Cruz needs to hit the magic number of 500 for Cooperstown, or is he already there? I think the 500 would make a big difference and help get him over the hump for sure. It's funny, those home run numbers don't quite mean what they used to. You you just mentioned Adam Dunn. He's not in the Hall of Fame, and he really didn't even get – serious consideration. I think he was on the ballot once and got a handful of votes and that was it. So our perception of home run hitters and career home run totals has changed a lot over the years. And the thing with Cruz, fairly or unfairly, is that when it comes to designated hitters, you have to kind of have overwhelming numbers. And to this point, it's been, I guess, Frank Thomas, although he played first base some earlier in his career. It's Edgar Martinez and now David Ortiz for the first time. Well, you're talking about three, probably the very best DHs of all time. Nelson Cruz is probably in that next category right behind them, but he's doing so at a time when home run totals maybe aren't as notable or as significant as they used to be. And a guy who hasn't done a lot is sort of like that one trick pony, the home run guy. I'm not trying to take anything away from him in his career. So right now, without having really studied it, I would tend to think that he's probably borderline and and even so uh, looking on the outside, looking in. If he can keep it going, if he can turn things around this year, finish out the year, maybe even play another season, get a little closer to 500, we might have a different conversation. But if it ended right now, my hunch would be is that he probably wouldn't make it as just as a guy who I think he doesn't fall into that top, top class of DHs. I think he's in the second tier of all-time DHs. I agree with you there. Another guy who homered tonight, so Josh Bell had the first one. He hit the rock formation in center field to begin the game. In the second inning, Yadiel Hernandez homered to make it 2-0 after having Friday night off. You and Al talked about how kind of a bit of an odd decision to sit him on Friday while he's on this heater. Now that he comes back, homers right away, do you think we'll see Davey sit him again while he's hot, or uh, it's just it's too tough to tell? Well, I think they are facing a lefty on Sunday, and that could throw it out of whack a little bit, although Yadiel has been hitting everybody. It doesn't matter who they're facing. Yeah, it's Sandoval, lefty, for the Angels on Sunday. So stay tuned. It would be for Lane Thomas if they make that move and that Davey would say he wants Thomas. Although Thomas could play center and Victor Robles could get a day off. Victor had a rough night at the plate. Three strikeouts and a bunt single. All those good vibes from Victor from San Francisco at the start of the trip have kind of disappeared. He was, I think he's two for 19 now on the rest of the trip. So maybe he gets a day off. To me, you can look at, especially on this road trip, when Yadiel Hernandez has hit, the Nationals have, as a team, have hit and have won these games. 
I think he is a really valuable member of the lineup right now, as valuable as almost anybody other than probably Josh Bell. And of course, Juan Soto is valuable. I want him in my lineup as much as possible. Maybe that doesn't mean it's every single day. You find some calculated days to give him off. But with just having had Friday off, with the team having Monday off, I think I want him in there even against a lefty on Sunday. If Yadiel Hernandez asked me to create his LinkedIn account and I were to put, you know, job title, I would put big league hitter. That's, that's <laughs> what I would put for him. He's impressed me ever since we saw him last year. You mentioned tomorrow that they're facing a lefty. It is the rubber match of the series, a four o'clock Eastern game. Not only the rubber match of the series, the rubber match of the road trip as the Nats are four and four on this three city nine game road trip thus far. Eric Fetty on the mound against the left-hander. Patrick Sandoval. On Saturday, Mark, D. Strange Gordon played shortstop. Friday night was Alcides Escobar. Obviously, Alcides Escobar has been a common topic on this podcast. What's your guess as to who plays shortstop on Sunday? I'm going to guess we'll see Alcides again, that Davey isn't, you know, giving up on him altogether. And he had two hits on Friday night, including a triple, and played pretty good defense as well. So I think you'll see him back in there. I think if you were suddenly going to give him back-to-back days off, now you're having to answer some questions about is he still your starting shortstop or not. And while there's a valid argument to be made there that he doesn't deserve to continue to be the everyday shortstop, I don't think D. Strange Gordon is the answer there. So I would expect to see Alcides there. I think you'll find some opportunities for D to play here and there. He could play the outfield some days as well. Apparently, according to Davey, he's the emergency catcher, which was news to D. He was shocked when he learned that from us before the game and just kind of laughed it off. Hopefully, it never comes to that, Uh, although it happened to the Pirates on Saturday, and that's why the subject came up. So, yeah, I, I think Alcides will be in there. And for better or worse right now, until Luis Garcia gets called up, Alcides Escobar is their not everyday, but close to everyday shortstop. All right. Well, when you get me on the mic, you get trivia. So, Mark, trivia question for you here. What stadium did the Angels call home in their inaugural season in 1961? Okay. It's one of two possibilities. Um, I know the Dodgers started at the Coliseum with the crazy, like, 250-foot left field wall with a giant net there. Did the Angels play there, or did they play at the other Wrigley Field? Boom. Yes, all right. Not Chicago's Wrigley Field, Los Angeles' Wrigley Field, which also, I don't know if you know this, is more famous, I think, for having been the host venue of the original Home Run Derby TV show in the early 1960s. Did you know that? I did. My dad and I used to watch it. On, Loved uh, it. Loved that e- show. I think it was on ESPN Classic in yeah. the 90s, and so we would watch it at night. And uh, Yeah, with the great commentary by Mark Scott. Yes. I would learn the name uh, Jackie Jensen. or you would see, like, It was a really cool show. I mean, like My dad would tell me that, because you would never see these guys otherwise. Like, Where else would you see Willie Mays in the month of December? But very good, Mark. Yeah, and the, and the interviews with the guy, you know, when the other guy was hitting and the, and the one would sit next to Mark and the, the little booth or whatever it was and you know talk to them and the inane chatter between the two of them and no it was a great show and i mean that is the original home run derby and i know that took place at the other wrigley field in los angeles so that so the angels started there for how many years did they play there one year and then they played four years at not dodger stadium but chavez ravine as it was known at the time or they Ah, called it um yeah and then in 66 the stadium you're at right now opened up and this stadium has undergone a lot of changes over the years. It started out like baseball only. Then it turned into the huge multi-purpose shared with the Rams 
for a while and then they left and they tried to renovate this and make it into a you know baseball only facility and honestly they've done all right with it it doesn't really look like it used to many years ago but there's certain structural things about it that are just you can't do anything about it without tearing the whole place down i know there's a lot of discussion here about building a new stadium about disagreements between the team and the city of Anaheim and where they're going to end up in the long run. It's a little bit of a strange franchise history because they've had a lot of stars here. They've had some good players. They won one World Series title, but they've never fully you know, been embraced as LA's team. And probably this has to do with the name. Like, are they LA? Are they California? Are they Anaheim? What are they? They've kind of always been a little bit of a not quite sure what their identity is. I agree with you, which is why when Mike Trout signed his extension as someone who just roots for the best for baseball, I wasn't thrilled about it. And I wasn't thrilled about it with Shohei Otani. It's just kind of, I would just, can we pick another city where they're the biggest game in their own town? Because they're not in LA. And that's why Anthony Rendon wanted to sign here. Yeah, right. Yes, exactly. It's the perfect spot for, for Anthony Rendon. Couldn't be better for him. Well, that is going to do it for us here on this edition. Weekly reminder that Nats Chat is on the radio across Virginia from 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. 1061 in Richmond, Sports Radio 96.5 in the Hampton Roads area. Check out our Twitter account, Nats underscore chat, for more information. Lastly, you hear Al do it, but allow me to hawk some t-shirts for a second. We have our new red one, plenty available. We have our classic blue from last season. We also still have a few secret weapon shirts, if you're still interested, for our guy, Paul Espino. Visit natschatpodcast.square.site. Trust me, when someone buys a shirt, it makes my day in more ways than one, and I will personally deliver it to the post office myself. And we had someone in in, in the stands wearing it this game, right? Yes, yes. We had Rich. First off, let's just take for a second that there's a guy in South Korea who bought a shirt and then traveled to Southern California to rep the shirt. And then we had a different uh, listener who lives in the Southern California area on Saturday night. So back-to-back nights in uh, in Anaheim, we've had Nats Chat representation. We are all over the place. I'm looking at the photo right now. It's from Marissa De La Rosa. Uh, it was her son. She did not name him. So unnamed son, thank you for wearing the shirt and repping us at the ballpark here in Anaheim. Yeah, and, and uh, for those who just got the red shirt, feel free to rep during this upcoming homestand that begins Tuesday night against the Mets. Well, that's going to do it for us here. Thanks to Mark. I'll be back with you tomorrow as the series concludes from sunny Southern California. From the wonderful world of sports, we bring you Home Run Derby, where each week the leading home run hitters of the major leagues will compete in a home run hitting contest. You'll meet such stars as Duke Schneider, Eddie Matthews, Rocky Colavito, Mickey Mantle, Armin Killebrew, Jim Lemon, Willie Mays, Jackie Jensen, and many others. Hi there, everybody. I'm Mark Scott saying, welcome to Home Run Derby. This week, we have two of the greatest stars in all of baseball, that fence-busting switch hitter, Mickey Mantle, and the wondrous, say-hey kid, Willie Mays.